come to the end of our days and we're staring eternity in, in the face. We look around at the world and all that it has to offer. And the only thing on our mind is you can have this whole world. I just want Jesus. Reminded of the old song they used to sing, many of the Billy Graham crusades, it says, I'd rather have Jesus than anything, more than all the silver and all the gold. Father, we're so thankful for Jesus. Thankful for your love for us that you gave your only son. If we ever come to the place where we recognize the true treasure that is found in our relationship with Him, we realize He's greater than all the gold, all the precious stones that the world combined could put together. And how unworthy we are of that, but yet You called us by name. You adopted us into your family, and now we have that relationship with you. What a blessing, what a blessing you are. So, Father, we just pray tonight as we gather here in fellowship with one another. Our hearts cry as, Lord, we just want more of Jesus the real Jesus, not religion, not some cookie cutter box religion. We just want Jesus and who he is and the reality of him to be real in our lives so that others can see him in our lives. That's what we desire, Lord. So Holy Spirit tonight, just have your way in our midst. Take a moment, just turn and greet somebody. Maybe you've not had a chance to say good evening to. Praise the Lord. And since you're up moving around, I'm going to ask, is there anybody has something you want to share, a testimony, a praise report, something that the Lord blessed you, did for you? Anyone? I know what's wrong. I'm not used to being up here on Wednesdays. I'm used to being down there on Wednesdays. Anyone? No? Okay. Pastor Bob prayed for me uh, one Sunday uh, after church. I had to go talk to my sister and my nephew. And he agreed with me in prayer that I would only say what the Holy Spirit would have me say. And I said, indeed. Uh, she was having problems with her child. And uh, he's severely ADD anyway. 
we had to turn completely around the approach that she had, that she was working with him. She was abandoned, and she was left with the mission by herself, and she was scared, and it wasn't going good at all. But anyway, God turned it around, and uh, now the little boy's realizing that he has to do his work. He's highly intelligent, but he can't focus. But he's doing his work. He's finally doing his work and, and understanding that he has to do his work in class, not when he gets home because they stay up till all hours of the night. So that was the answer to prayer, and I'm happy about it. Amen. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? Oh. Praise God. Okay. That's good. Uh, we're going to continue in our teaching on exercising discernment. This is week number three. And uh, I stated in the beginning that the reason for this is simply because there's a lot of unhealthy teachings, if I could put it that way, um, uh, and just foolish teachings that are being, that are permeating in the church and through uh, secular uh, media and so we have to have discernment, and we, we say, what is discernment? And as far as the Christian goes, it is the, the ability to identify the true nature of a spirit or a doctrine or practice, the ability to distinguish truth from error, and the ability to distinguish between the divine and human uh, and the demonic. There are two main Greek words, and I'm just, I'm just reviewing a few things that we've gone over every week because I want us to understand it. And, and both of these words that are translated discernment in the New Testament, they, one of them means to examine or to judge closely. Another one is to separate out, to investigate, to examine. In other words, like, like set, set something aside and look at it. And we've read this scripture each week, and I'm going to read it again. It says from 1 Thessalonians 5, Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully, hold fast to that which is good, and abstain from every form of evil. So uh, Paul the, writes to the church, and he encourages them not to discount or to dismiss the Holy Spirit by despising what's being taught as coming from God, but he says, test everything. So he wants us to be open to, to the teachings of the Lord and the Holy Spirit. And how many of you know that the, the, the things of God are not our ways? The, we don't understand things quite like God does. And, and so they're going to be different. And, but he says, you just don't take everything as it is. You have to test it. And he talks about how to do that. So he says if someone comes along preaching or teaching something that they claim is inspired of God, we're not to despise it, which would result in quenching the Holy Spirit, but we are to examine it, okay? And so uh, I've, I pointed out that one of the critical areas 
uh, and, and this is discerning between the spiritual and the soulish realm. We are made in the image of God. God is there's uh, three in one, and we are three in one in that we are spirit, soul, and body. And the soul is different from the spirit. The soul is the mind and the will and the emotions of an individual, but it is tied with our spirit. I mean, and that it, it is who we are, okay? And so he talks about this, the, the fact that one word that is used uh, for soul uh, is where uh, we get the word for uh, our, our psyche, and the other one has to do with the spirit. And in, in translations in the scripture, when it talks about the soulish person, the soulish realm of an individual, it'll use the words natural, carnal, uh, worldly, or sensual. And, and the thing that I pointed out was that the soul and spirit are often in conflict with one another. And the soul area in which man's natural reason and emotions function. Um, uh, again, Paul in, in, in Romans, he writes to the church, he says, the things that I want to do are the things that I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do are the things that I end up doing. There's this, there's this tug of war that's going on inside because the spirit wants to, uh, needs to rise up. But the soulish part of us is what we're born with and that's what we're used to. And so it's like uh, if you were raised on a, a certain uh, type of food or a certain type of uh, uh, product or whatever, and somebody tries to substitute that for, to, for you and tell you it's the same, you're going to know the difference. You're going to say, no, it's not. And they said, but it, it's, it, it's just as good, but it, it doesn't taste the same. And, and so I'm just saying that if we've been raised at, on the soulish level, then all of a sudden God's trying to change that and, and move us over into the spiritual realm, there's going to be this back and forth struggling that goes on. In fact, 2 Corinthians talks about this contrast, and it says in 2 Corinthians chapter, uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, and the first part of 15, it says, but the natural man, that's the, that's the soulish person, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, nor can he know them or understand them because they are, what, spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things. And so we talked about the thing that, that the natural cannot understand the things that are spiritual. They have to be spiritually discerned. And the one clear way of discerning them is through the Word of God. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says, For the Word of God is a living, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of soul and spirit and the joints and marrows, and the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Um, I was thinking about this uh, just the other day as an example. Um, Again, the soul is where the feelings are. Uh, in fact, uh, the psalmist, uh, in one of the psalms says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Right? And then he goes, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. 
And he goes on, and it's, if you read it, it's almost like he's having an argument with the spirit in him. Because how many of you, you wake up, and you don't feel so spiritual? Okay, if we're going to be honest now, come on now. I mean, you wake up, and you're like, oh, I just, oh, I don't want to do it, right? And, and so the, the spirit's going, bless the Lord, oh, my soul. And all that's within me. And the soul is going, I don't want to. I want to complain. I want to love. And then he goes, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But today I want, you know, and you go back and read it. It's like this, this, this going back and forth is going on in his life. And so this happens. Uh, but I was thinking uh, several years ago, and I'm not going to name the individual, but there was an article in a magazine, wrote a huge article about a three-time Dove Award winner for the Gospel Music Association. And this singer-songwriter told the world in this article that they had just got tired of fighting their same-sex attractions that they were battling with. And the individual related in the article that they were now living a, quote, normal gay life, unquote, and felt liberated. And the person went on to explain that their faith was in transition and teachings that they had adhered to all their lives suddenly were up for reconsideration. And the reason was because there was a peace once, once this individual switched his beliefs and changed over, he, this, that now there was peace. And went on to say, and quote, I had a lot of questions about faith, but at the bottom of everything was a feeling that I didn't hate myself anymore. So in that sense, I felt closer to God, unquote. And then the singer declined to go into any other things, but was saying that they were dating someone and now living a normal gay lifestyle. Now, my intent's not to address the subject of a gay lifestyle, other than that I'm just going to say that person is just totally wrong. Okay? And, 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 but here's the point. Everything that was said in the article dealt with the individual's feelings. And... and I don't know about you, but feelings will deceive you. <laughs> Faith will save you. Now, that's the difference. And so, and, and we're living in a culture today where it's all about feelings, how I feel. Uh, if, I mean, if you don't accept me, I feel oppressed. I feel like you're attacking me. If I don't, you know, everything's about feeling. And, and, uh, Again, the point is that God's word um, and its principles have nothing to do with your or my feelings. I mean, God understands our feelings, but it doesn't change his word. His word stands forever. I Just imagine if it changed on, how, on every day because of your feelings. I would never know what was truth. I would never know where I stood. I would never know anything because from one day to another, right? Come on. And so it brings me to the next point, and that is in Matthew chapter 7, verse 16, 
Jesus gives us a test to be applied to all ministries or all words, all teachings, whatever. And he says, you will know them by their fruits. And then in verses 17 and 18, he makes it even more specific. Look what he says. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree cannot uh, bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Okay? So what he's saying is, now here's the thing that a lot of people say. Even Christians fall for this. The Bible says we're not to judge one another. The Bible says be careful how you judge one another because in the same measure that you judge, you will be judged. Doesn't say don't judge one another, but it does say judge and test certain things. And it also says that be an inspector of fruit. Now, I'm not going around to see whether you measure up by my standards. If I'm doing that, then the problem is right here. I got a problem. But the thing is, it, Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruit. So, you know, fruit inspectors are legitimate people. That's what they do. They look for rotten fruit. And, you know, the old saying about one bad apple spoils the bunch. I remember as a kid, I went to see my grandparents up in Derry, New Hampshire. And uh, there was one intersection in that little community at the time. One. And on one intersection on the corner was a cemetery that went all the way back to 10 years after the pilgrims landed. Because I used to walk through that cemetery as a kid. I was fascinated by that. Reading the names and the dates and stuff like that. On the other corner was a general store. An old country general store. On this corner was a teacher's college. Had three buildings. It's still there today. It's a teacher's college. On the other corner was nothing. At that time. It's grown up a little bit since then. But I remember going to the general store. And we'd go in there and look for penny candy, which was back in my day. There was such a thing as penny candy. And, uh, but on the porch in the fall, they always had barrels of fresh apples because the apples were being picked. And, and you could go out there. But I remember one time going out there to look for a fresh apple. And remember there was a like a a sour smell coming out of the barrel. And I couldn't figure out what it was. And I remember I went inside and I said, Mister, there's something wrong with them apples out there. And he said, oh, there's probably a bad one in there. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, when they, if one of them starts to rot, if we don't get it out of there, um, maybe it was bruised when it went in. And so he says, it, it just ruins all the ones that are around it. Well, it's, it's decomposing. And if you've ever been around an apple that decomposes, it smells like bad apple cider. I mean, it really does, you know, like apple cider vinegar. It's just, it's just, it's pungent. And he said, we'll just have to go get them. And that's where I learned one apple can release, really does spoil the whole bunch. So God, Jesus says here, he said, you shall know them by their fruits. He's talking about, Christians, ministries, 
whatever. And he just goes on to say, good trees bear good fruit, bad trees bear bad fruit, and they don't cross-pollinate. In other words, a bad tree is not going to produce good fruit. Just, it's not going to happen. And so he goes on, and this is a very practical teaching for us in this day, because we, whenever we encounter bad fruit, we must recognize that it came from what? Bad tree. That's right there. Yeah, thank you. So we have to discern and deal with the bad tree that produced the bad fruit. The fruit in and of itself may be bad, but the source is even worse because it produces bad fruit. That's all it can do, right? So we also need to recognize the kind of soil that produces bad trees, right? So let's take it back even a little bit further. So if bad fruit comes from bad trees, bad soil produces bad trees, then what we need to recognize is the source, the very source. You could take a healthy plant and, and, and plant it in rotten soil, and it's not going to grow. It's going to die, or it's going to rot, or something of that type. And so what is the, what is the soil in, in this context? Jesus says you'll know their fruit, Bad trees bear bad fruit. Good trees bear good fruit. He says, judge them, understand that, discern that. So what is the bad soil? We could probably make a list a mile long, but I think it's really simple to say that pride is the greatest cause of bad fruit. Pride. Uh, it, was, it was pride that caused the downfall of Satan out of heaven. Pride is the primary weapon that Satan uses to bring about the downfall in humanity itself. So if bad soil is, is like pride, then the thing that we need to understand is if we're going to produce good fruit, we need good soil, and the, the way to counter the bad soil is humility. Being humble. It's the opposite of pride right? I mean, and I'm not talking about hum false humility. There's a lot of Christians with a lot of false humility. They go around, you know, oh, woe is me. I'm so humble. Nobody recognizes me. I'm just, uh, I'm a nobody. I'm, I'm just, you know, I, I'm here if the Lord wants me, but, you know, nobody wants me. And you know what that is? That's pride. All you're doing is drawing attention to yourself. Humility doesn't go out with a trumpet and, and a band and say, look at me. That's what pride does. And so uh, Jesus is our pattern for self-humbling, if I can put it that way, because we all want to produce good fruit, right? And so uh, the Apostle Paul traces for us in Philippians chapter 2, he shows seven, if I can put it this way, seven downward steps that took Jesus from a place of equality with God to the death of a criminal on a cross. And I, I want to just show you this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. He says, your attitude, I'm just going to say our attitude, our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus 
who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He was already God. He was equal to God in that he was God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He was God. He was from, from the beginning of time, before time was, he was already. Everything in this world that we see is held together by him. But it says his attitude was that he did not consider him, consider equality with God something to be grasped after. I want you to think about that because there's a lot of people in ministries today or trying to get into ministries today who are trying to grasp the brass ring, if I can kind of put it that way, in Christianity. Like, if their name could be lit up in lights, if their name could be promoted so high, if their name could be... It's like trying to grasp equality with God. Like, I am God's favorite. I am the one. I am his favored one. All of those things. It says, Jesus did not consider equality something to be grasped. In verse 7 it says but made himself nothing. That's the first one. Made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. If we're going to take on humility, we have to learn to serve. Jesus said, if you want to be great in the kingdom, learn to serve. Learn to put other people first. Learn to serve others not look out for yourself. That's the opposite of what the world, the world is look out for number one, right? Christianity is just the opposite. He's number one. We serve him. We follow him. It's not about us. So it says he, he takes on, made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Do you realize how humbling that had to have been? For the word of God. Because the Bible says the word was spoken and light was made in the heavens. The word was spoken. It was the word that was from the beginning. All things are created and held together by the word of God. So for the word to be made in human likeness. The Bible says that he was made a little lower than the angels being made in human form. So even angels are above humans in, in, in natural creation. And yet the Bible says that now in Christ, we are seated with him in heavenly places. God has raised us up, but, but to be raised up, what happened? Christ had to be brought Christ had to lower himself. He made of himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. I'm telling you, that is, that's a humbling statement. That God would be made in, in the same appearance as us. That's humbling for, for God. He humble, and then he goes on and says, he humbled himself 
and became obedient to the death, even death on a cross. So we see this, this progression of what Jesus did himself to humble himself. And what was the point of humbling himself? To give us a picture, to give us an understanding of what it truly means to serve, to humble, to, to put others first. And then notice what it says in the beginning of verse 9. Therefore, and I underline therefore because I've always said it, and you'll hear me say it a thousand more times before I die. Anytime you see a therefore, you got to ask what it's there for. What has he just done? He's made an argument. He's made his case like a lawyer in a courtroom. He said that Christ, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God to be something grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He became obedient. Became obedient. He's God. God writes the rules. And yet, being in the form of man, he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So he's made the argument. Christ did this and this and this and this and this and this and lowering himself and humbling himself. And he says, therefore, because of all of that, God has highly exalted him. That's the key. That's the key, my friends. It really is. To be not deceived to not think of oneself more than they should is learning to humble ourselves and serve. Serve as a servant of the king. Serve as the servant in the kingdom. He says, therefore, God also has highly exalted him. Jesus was not exalted because he was God's son. He was not exalted because he was God's favorite. He was exalted because he had fulfilled the condition for being exalted. He had humbled himself. The way to be exalted in the eyes of the Lord is to humble yourself. To put others first. To serve others. You know, years ago they had the saying, what would Jesus do? What would he do? What would he do? How would he move? What would he say? What would he do in this situation? What would he do? And it would revolutionize a world. Jesus affirms his general principle that applies throughout the universe. In Luke chapter 14, verse 11, he says, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Do you see something there? God leaves it to each and every one of us about the decision we want to make. If we choose to exalt ourselves, God says, I'll humble you. If we choose to humble ourselves, God says, I'll exalt you. 
I don't know about you. I'm not really anxious to have God humble me. <laughs> Come on now. I do enough stupid things on my own. I mean, I mean, really. I mean, I mean, when you think about that, he's saying, go ahead, pat, pat yourself on the back, toot your own horn, make yourself out to be something. Watch what I'll do. And God's not malicious. He's not mean. But his purpose in doing it is to teach us something. He's saying that he who humbles himself, God looks for that. And he will exalt them. In fact, God says he resists the proud. And he gives grace to the humble. Do we need grace? Or do we need God resisting us? I don't know. I vote for grace. All the time. Um. If we, might, if we make the right decision, we can move forward confidently into all that God is doing by his Holy Spirit without fear of being deceived or going off into error. And that's the key. That's what we're talking about, discernment. Because pride gets in the way and pride becomes, you know, like you can't see clearly. And you think you're going the right direction. And um, I, I don't know why this story just came to mind. I'm, I'm about to close. Um, I had just received my driver's license in California uh, like two or three or four days before my dad was transferred from central California to Montgomery, Alabama. And my dad put me in a car with my two brothers. And, and he and my mom and my four sisters were in another vehicle. And I drove cross country like three days after I got my license. I didn't even have a real license yet. In California, they'd give you a paper thing, a little piece of paper. It almost looked like one of the little things you tear off of a, you know, a ticket at a restaurant. And it had some numbers on the back. And you'd get your real license from Sacramento at that time, like 10 days later. So I drove cross country with this little piece of paper in my pocket, and my parents were in another car. And, I, and, and um, it was like the first day we're out, um, uh, well, the first full day, we're leaving Needles, California, and at 8 o'clock in the morning, it's already 105 degrees. And uh, we're driving through the deserts and um, headed towards Albuquerque. And um, uh, somewhere in the desert, I don't know where, um, some bird hit the windshield of my dad's car that I was driving, a 63 Ford Galaxy. And I couldn't see anything. It hit on my side. It couldn't hit on my brother's side. He's not driving. It hit on my side. And so... I'm, I'm wanting to stop to clean it because I can't hardly see. But my parents are leading in the car in front of us. And, of course, there's no communication. We didn't have walkie-talkies or GPS or anything like that. So I had to keep driving. And I'd ask my brother, is anything ahead of us? He said, no, just keep going. And you know, after a while, I was doing like this. So my brother John gets the great idea. He said, well, I, all I got to do is reach out the window and wash it off. 
he said, I've got an old rag down here. And I said, go ahead and do it. And so we're flying down through the desert. I mean, like crazy. But I didn't know what he was going to wash it off with. And he decides to use part of an old Coca-Cola he's got on it. Yes. And in the heat, he throws that Coke on there and that towel he's wiping. It just smeared. That syrup just dried like a glaze over the window. I couldn't see anything except for about this far above the dash. And I'm looking through the steering wheel and my brother's hanging out the window. Wait a minute, I'll get it. And I said, stop. And he threw some more on there. Now three-fourths of the windshield's covered in Coke that is dried at like 100-something degree temperature. Can't see anything. And I drove for like two and a half hours like that. And I look back now and think, that was the stupidest thing I ever did. But I was 16. <laughs> I just turned 16. And so... Um, but he's the one that threw it on there, you know. That's what I learned. Don't use Coke or any kind of soft drink to try and wash your windows. And, um, you know, because there's syrup in there and it, it doesn't wash well. Now, I say that because pride's like that. If we let pride get in our life, it, it, it'll glaze our, our view. It'll blind we may see things, but we're not going to see things. We're going to have blind spots. And, and then we become susceptible to deception. We could become susceptible to error. And we can't see. We can't see clearly. And, but humility is like God's way of giving us fresh eyes every day. And, and that, so that we can see. It's like, he, like going through the car, spiritual car wash every day and God cleans the windshield so we can see clearly. Because we say, Lord, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. But if our heart is lifted up with pride, God cannot answer that prayer. He cannot. But by us living a life of humility and, and applying God's word to our lives, it, 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 it shortens or closes the ability of the enemy to deceive us or for us to fall for error. Does that make sense? Let me just throw this in, then I'm going to close. Unfortunately today, there are some Christians who, who sometimes interpret some form of supernatural manifestation or gift that they have received as like a badge of special spirituality. Um, I've seen this since I was a teenager. I've seen people fall for this. They, they tend to see themselves as being on a higher spiritual plain than other people who maybe haven't experienced the same um, well the same experience they've not they've not seen it they've not been there whatever and and they just consider themselves like on a different plane I saw this in Bible college there was a group of individuals 
that were that I had was very had a very close relationship with, and suddenly one guy in the group got a handful of them studying the temple, the Old Testament temple, and they were getting quote special revelations out of that that applied to us as believers as Christians now, and and they were going around and little by little. We saw them pulling away from everybody else. And, um, and I remember one of the individuals who came up to, I went up to say hello to him. He said, you can't, you can't come over here with us. I said, why? I said, we've been friends for a few years. And he said, uh, you're not on the same spiritual level we are. And he said, because you haven't received the revelation of God's temple. Well, my friend, Walt, who, was, who had been burned out on LSD when he came to Christ and God had saved and delivered him, restored his mind, and um, he walked over to these super spiritual guys and said, well, I want to ask you one thing. In the last six weeks that you've been studying these spiritual revelations, how many people have you wanted Jesus in the last six weeks? And they all just shut their mouth. He said, that's what I thought. He said, don't tell me how spiritual you are when you're not even witnessing and winning people to Christ, but you're over in the corner having your revelations. He said, I'll take winning someone to Jesus over those revelations you quote are from God. You know what he did? He humbled him right there. And I walked away and went, yeah, way to go, Walt. I mean, your brain might have been burned on LSD, but baby, that was God. That was like from the, the mouth of God himself. And, and the problem is that when people do this, they, oh, I've had this experience, I've had this experience, or I've had this, you know, th I got this gift, or I have this, or whatever. What can end up being is a tragic division in the body of Christ and between those who have had and haven't had. And even Paul discussed that among the Corinthian church who boasted about the spiritual gifts among them. And he, and he chastised them even about communion. He said, right before you have communion, you have a meal. And he said, but the poor who don't have any food, you put off in the corner over there, while you who have food, you go over here and eat because you're better than them that are over there. And then he talks about it. And he said, for some of you are sick and some have even died because you have sin in your life because you've put division in the body of Christ. You think you're better than everybody else. He said, but you're not. And so um, we have to be careful about that. That if we experience an encounter with the Lord, we should be humble in that we experienced it. Not boastful, not prideful. Um, that, that it's not something we've got to toot our own horn about. It's kind of, to me, it's kind of like the old thing about the millionaire that nobody knows is a millionaire. They don't go around having to boast they have money. That person knows they have money. They don't need everybody else to know it. 
And if we have an experience with God, that's great. We can share it. But how we share it and be sure, careful that we, we don't lift ourselves and put ourselves on a pedestal. And Jesus gave us a clue about that regarding spiritual actions or gifts or manifestations. In John 13, 35, he said, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The fruit of the Spirit is not division, not ego, not competition. The fruit of the Spirit is love and acceptance. But, I'm going to put a but or a however or whatever qualifier in there. That does not mean acceptance at any cost when it means to compromise the Word of God. We can stand and we can confront and we can debate or we can present our view in truth, but the Bible says we do it in love, not out of arrogance, conceit, or anything like that. And the fruit we should see from anything that is truly from God must line up with God's word. So we go back to that scripture again in 1 Thessalonians 5. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Examine all things and firmly hold onto what is good. That is where the church needs to be. There's so many things creeping into the church today that sound good, but I'm telling you they're taking things out of context. And any time you take something out of context, it becomes a pretext for an argument for something else. And so we have to be very careful that we take the whole counsel of God and that we don't quench the Spirit out of fear of being caught in error or deceive. We don't despise the, the spiritual, the prophetic, or anything like that, but we examine all things and hold on to that which is good and cast aside the things that are not good. As John Wimber said, who, who started the vineyard movement, he said, look, when I eat chicken, I spit out the bones. I don't just quit eating chicken. And that's just a simple way of putting it. You know, every once in a while you're going to find something that's not quite right. Or the old country adage about, Mama burned the biscuits, so did you just quit eating biscuits? <laughs> no. You just, that one batch was burned. It doesn't mean you quit eating biscuits the rest of your life. So it's, it's understanding that God is moving through people and we need to exercise discernment by God's Word and the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us because the Holy Spirit will never contradict this Word because He's the one who inspired it. And so we can't go wrong that way. But if we humble ourselves, then God in due season will exalt us. I've seen people in, and, and on my side of the uh, thing pursuing ministry because they wanted a name. They wanted the attention. They wanted, and that is the absolute wrong reason to be involved in ministry. Because ministry 
should be about serving. And it's not, it's like being the person behind the scenes that nobody sees and not being out in front taking all the bows. That's not what it's about. Amen? Comments or questions or thoughts or anything like that? Anyone? Just about this part? Thank you, I try. <laughs> I'm not good at it all the time, but I try. Amen. Um, I want us to take a few moments to pray. Whoops, better get off that step. I just lost my balance. Um, It's just, I want us to take a moment to pray for just the, for a move of Holy Spirit in our lives, in our homes, in our small groups, in our services when we corporately come together. In fact, I, I, I would really like if maybe a few of you would lead us in prayer in those areas as you feel directed. We want the Holy Spirit to move in our lives, in our homes, in our small groups, in our church family, in our cities, our towns, our schools. We want to see him move. How many are in agreement with that? You want to see God move in that way. If you feel led to pray in a particular area, then please just do so. I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I'm not looking for fancy prayers, just humble ones, direct from the heart. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord.
Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yes, Yes, Lord. 
Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Ora kapasata lakata lakata diyala lakasata. Yes, Lord God.
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I pray, as Paul prayed for the Ephesian believers. God, that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would be made known to each and every one of your people, that they might understand the power of God that has been given to each and every one in the mighty name of Jesus. The very same power that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in each and every believer. Father, it's the name of Jesus, the person of Jesus, who lives within us, this treasure that is now found in earthen vessels. God, we are not doormats for evil or for darkness. We are ones who carry the light into the darkness, causing the darkness to flee. Father, in Jesus' name, greater is he who is within us than he who is in the world. Let your church know that. Let it be established in that. And that, Father, that there's not a demon in hell nor a herd of demons who can stand against one believer in the name of Jesus. For the blood of Jesus Christ has authority over each and every one of us and God, as we are submitted to you, then darkness has to bow at the name of Jesus. Your word tells us that at the very name of Jesus, 
demons tremble. Therefore, O God, let your church be emboldened with the spirit of courage. The Lord, with the with a voice of like the roar of a lion as it goes forth and know, Father, that they are ambassadors of the King and that they're not merely, merely handing out invitations to come, but they are going out and making declarations. Behold, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and get ready. Make his paths straight. And we thank you, Father, for this glorious time in which you've allowed us to live. And Father, give us breath that we might be a part of what you are doing on earth. In your precious name we pray. Amen. And amen. Amen. Praise God. Anybody need prayer specifically? You need prayer. for James? Air infection. Okay. How about a couple of you go lay hands on James? Here's, here's some oil. You want some oil? Thank you, Lord. Father, your word says, if anyone is sick among you, let him ask for the elders of the church to come, anoint with oil, pray the prayer of faith, that if there be any sin, it shall be forgiven, and the prayer of faith shall raise the sick. Father, we come against this infection in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, let it dissipate even now. Let it break up and be gone even now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.